Hello and thank you for listening to our Youth Mental Health podcast with the Northern Trust. My name is Catherine McCaulgan and I'm a service manager in the Children's Early Intervention Service. I'm very pleased to be joined today by my colleagues Amy and Laura. Thank you for joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Amy McIver. I'm the team assistant in the Early Intervention Service in Antrim and Macfelt. So I've been in this post for three years now, but I've been working with children and families for the best part of 16 years. Okay, good to have you with us. And I'm Laura McGarry. I'm one of the social work practitioners within the Children's Early Intervention Service. Um, I've been working in this post for four years. Um, prior to that, I was a social worker within our frontline family support intervention. So I have been working with family and children both um, in units and individually throughout that time. It's great to have you both with us. So the title of our podcast today is Thriving Rather Than Surviving Parenting. So a very interesting topic and I suppose one we can all identify with as parents. So from the outset and before getting into the strategies and tips that you want to talk about, I know you're both very much involved in the Parents Plus programme and, and that you're very keen to tell us a little bit about the context of this. Um, it's very relevant because it informs the strategies that you're going to talk about today. Laura, tell us a wee bit about that. So myself and Amy have completed about nine groups together. Yeah. And it's a programme that we find really piques the interest of the parents who will be coming along and potentially their kids would meet the criteria for our CAM service because it was developed by a CAMS unit in Dublin in partnership with parents. So it's been tinkered with and you know, numerous editions of it, it's moved with the time. So, you know, our parents really like the fact that there's an evidence base with it, don't they, Amy? Yeah, I think families really enjoy the fact that it was developed by families and by kids who were in a CAM service. It's not a generic parenting programme. It's very specific and very tailored to the needs that we're finding in the service. Excellent. And I suppose because the parents have been involved in constructing and co-producing that programme, mm-hmm. um, we know that we're actually hitting the mark when we're delivering the, the support and the strategies and services. The strategies that you talk about from the programme and, and the groups that is obviously ran through our service, it can be tailored and used in a one-to-one intervention. Is that right? Yeah, we would deliver the context within um, our assessments or our one-to-one work um, as and when required, it's nicely um, divided up that you can offer it out in chunks or you can come along and do the whole parenting programme within the group setting. Um, but the group setting is not for everyone. Um, and although Amy has referenced you know, how specific it can get, at the same time it's just the foundations and building blocks that any parent appreciates having in place. And a way of some parents will come along that would have more than one child and they would have very different needs. Um, and they would find it useful for, you know, any other children. So tell me about those foundations and building blocks you refer to, Laura, because I think that that's what we really want our listeners to hear today. Mm. What can they take away from this conversation and this podcast to help them in their sort of day-to-day work with their families and um, and young people? So I suppose the broad stroke is um, the three-step um, approach. It really is the foundations to what we'll go on and talk about and we might hear us talking about building blocks or golden nuggets and that's your pause, tune in and plan um, and you may, I know our parents find that really easy to digest and kind of take away to use as a structure 
They do, and that's certainly feedback we get all the time, how, how powerful being able to pause is in the heat of the moment. So being able to, to literally press a pause button and stop whenever we can see things developing or we can see behaviours escalating or our emotions becoming quite heightened, allowing yourself to press the pause button and take that wee bit of a step back has been so powerful to, to families and allowing them to remain calm and to assess actually what's happening here. And then that always leads on nicely to, to the chin and in. I suppose the most simplistic way to think about it um, is to think about a radio. And this is how we describe it to our parents. So at the minute, there may be a wee bit of static interference whenever we're trying to understand and listen to what our children are trying to communicate to us through behaviour and the words and um, whatnot. So if you just think of it as trying to get that nice and clear, you're fine tuning and really trying to take the time, as Amy says, that pause allows you the time to do it. And with the next step of tuning in, then it directs you to trying to understand what are they trying to say? What is the feeling behind this behaviour? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's been going on for my child that has resulted in this? And then the next step is plan. So they nicely follow on from each other. It's not three big separate steps that you're grappling with the whole time to try and remember, well, what's the next step? There's three of them. You pause, you tune in, try to understand. And then you make a plan. And we have two types of plans, Amy. We do. So you'll hear us talking an awful lot about an action plan or a prevention plan. So the action plan we would talk about is whenever whenever things are actually happening. So whenever the anxiety is coming out, whenever the frustration is coming out, whenever the emotions are becoming really heightened, what can you do in that moment to de-escalate and to help to meet your child's needs, whatever it is that they're trying to communicate? But the prevention plan is slightly different in that it's we know that these things are going to happen. If we know that there's a routine or we know that there's a scenario that actually is normally quite difficult and challenging, what can we do to make that easier for everyone involved? How can we tune in and how can we use the skills to be able to make that much smoother and much more relaxed for everyone? Because the thing is, our children are unlikely to set out with an intention to get into trouble. That, that is highly unlikely to be their aim, their motivation whenever they're behaving in this way. Do you know they're becoming angry or upset or you know seeking you out to, to meet a need, essentially. Um, and when you drop down into that feeling and that need that your child is trying to communicate, it leaves you in a better position to be able to respond effectively. You know, otherwise you end up going around in circles, which is what we hear a lot from our parents. Yeah. Um, so getting into cycles. Are you saying then this pause plan and or pause tune in and plan is really an opportunity for parents to to do that, to hear their children in a different way? Mm-hmm. And it gives them the opportunity to a bit like you had mentioned earlier, you know, get rid of the static. Yeah. And understand the key points they're tr- that they're trying to communicate. So the action plan and the prevention plan those sound like the golden nuggets as well that you're talking about as being so useful in helping our families do this. They must be handy in a lot of different scenarios that the parents we work with describe. It's helpful, to, those action plans that Amy talked about, it's helpful to have something that we would kind of say to have in your back pocket to say in the times of your, your child experience a really heightened emotion, whatever that may be, as Amy says, anger or frustration or hyper. Do you know, just mm. elation. That can be another thing that parents want to try and manage maybe a wee bit more effectively when they're out in the shops. They don't want them running up and down the aisles. Um, so to have something in your back pocket to kind of pull out in the moment that you know is likely to work. 
um, because those prevention plans tend to take that wee bit more time to bed in. Inaction is kind of what our parents are really wanting. They're really wanting that in the moment stuff. So a couple of things that they've really, you know, eyes have lit up with whenever we're delivering the programme is um, and trying to enhance your skills because it really is a skill that's hard to do is change your talk, the way you talk to your kids in a more positive language. Yeah, so like Lauren said there, that, that change in the talk and a more positive more positive way is really, really, really challenging and we talk about it in, in the way of changing don'ts to do's. Mm. So instead of giving out, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, on, actually tell our child what we want them to do because if we're taking away behaviour, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing instead. I think quite often we all take it for granted that we just know what we're supposed to do. But even as adults, in a new situation, whenever we're told not to do something, we still don't know what we're supposed to do. So the whole idea of don't to do is really, really, really powerful. We also do a really good wee activity with families, whereby we tell them, well, well don't think about a kangaroo. Whenever you tell someone not to think about a kangaroo... It's the first thing you do. Yeah, it's the first thing I'm thinking of. That's exactly it. And kids are no different, except as adults, we've got the reasoning and the understanding. We know what's unexpected, whereas a child doesn't. Mm. So this change in our language into a more positive and more constructive way is really, really, really powerful, but it does take a lot of practice. Yeah. It makes it more straightforward for the child, I suppose. Um, And it may seem a wee bit alien to parents to use it in the first instance and it, you know it does seem a bit stilted when we're trying into the flow of it so when you're trying to think of a, a don't to do essentially if you've got a child bouncing on your sofa and your concern is that they're gonna fall off and hurt themselves when you're trying to think of well what do I want them to do that's hard yeah it's hard in the moment so you know we've got examples like I need you to just sit down on the sofa sofas for sitting on or feet in the floor that's a really concise one um, that the child knows what to do and then if they struggle with that then you've got a wee bit of time to think about well how do I help them understand this further how do I explain why I'm, why I'm concerned about them jumping on the sofa if I have their feet on the floor they're more likely to listen yeah and it's, I suppose that's even allowing them a wee bit more time to pause and to think Who themselves says? as a parent because you know it is it's busy and it's tough and if you're dealing with maybe a mul- multiple children um, trying to manage that but tell me a wee bit then about Whenever you are changing the more negative language to positive language, what is that actually doing? How is that helping our children? It's setting the expectation. It's telling them what what behaviour is expected of them. What am I allowed to do? And in that, it brings structure and it brings safety and it brings understanding to the child. So then they know, okay, I'm not allowed to, to hit my brother or I'm, I'm not allowed to run across the road. I have to hold mummy's hand. Mm-hmm. It just allows them to, to understand what, what's going on and that for a child is so powerful and so important. And it can easily lead on to, you know, alternative strategies that you might want to introduce. So the one you used there, you may have, um, okay, I'm not allowed to hit my brother. What do I do instead? Um, I've got a boxing bag or I've got a pillow or I've got, do you know, I can go out in the trampoline and I can bounce 50 times. Mm. Do you know, it can help them then try and seek out alternatives that are more positive and um, still get that feeling out. So it opens up options really for them, doesn't it? And I suppose by opening up the options, they don't feel perhaps overwhelmed or frustrated, which I know you talked about earlier as being problematic at times. Mm -hmm. 
And I suppose that leads us nicely into the when then and, and giving choice to kids within their kind of consequences and, and what might happen. What we found um, right across the spectrum um, of any kind of development, the one that we deliver is kind of from age 5 to 12. So we're looking at that primary school developmental stage, um, which there's lots of stages within. Mm, um, but the broad stroke within that is that kids appreciate boundaries. And they not only appreciate boundaries in terms of rules and whatnot, but boundaries as in, well, then when I do this, then what do I get to do? So if you need them to do something, then you hang your carrot on a stick and that's your then. So when you have finished your homework, then you can watch TV. So it allows them to know that actually once I've done my homework, I can watch TV. Not once I've done my homework, my mum might find something else for me to do. So it gives them that wee bit of boundary and that wee bit of expectation. Um, and again, gives them time to process, right, if I, if I choose to do this, then I get the reward. If I don't do this, then I'm just going to be stuck here until I do it. Yeah, so it helps them with organising as well, which yeah. is a key skill for, for that age group that you're talking about and that move towards independence. Um, but as you say quite rightly, knowing what to expect next is really important because it links those behaviours and consequences. Yeah. Have you any advice or tips that we can give parents in this area? Well, something that we've actually focused on part of our sessions is uh, devoted to problem solving. And uh, I suppose this generation, or maybe a generation and a half of, of parenting, we've tended to go into rescue mode very easily. Um, and that comes from a very good and a very genuine place as a parent, wanting to support and protect your kid. Um, but I suppose what we've found is that whenever they get up to adolescence or the end of primary school and they're having to solve these problems by themselves, then our kids get stuck. Um, and they very easily move into anxiety and very easily move into worry. Um, so the sooner we can help uh, practice with our kids how to solve smaller problems with us, um, with them, then the easier that challenge should be whenever they get into a situation where they're facing it alone. Um, so a nice wee thing, an exercise that we do in the, the group is um, there's a problem and what we're wanting to do is get everybody to think outside the box. And I suppose this is going to help us think about how to respond to sometimes entertaining suggestions that our children come up with to solve problems. Do you know, what we want to encourage is blue sky thinking. So um, regardless of resource, regardless of need for money, um, regardless of the need for magic to be part of it, you know, we want to encourage our kids to come up with um, solutions. So the wee exercise is one that a Scottish power company had. They got a thinking group together. Their highland remote villages kept suffering power outages because the lines going to these remote places kept succumbing to snowfall. So they did a thinking group to think, well, how do we how do we solve this problem? Um, and they incorporated blue sky thinking. Um, so a few of the suggestions that had come up would have been like, put it underground, put the lines underground, heat them up in some way to melt the snow, get a wee man to walk along and poke the wires with a stick to shake the snow off the wire you know put wee rooftops on top of all the wires so you know it really really did encourage that blue sky thinking and said it doesn't matter what you know how silly the the idea sounds come up with it and that'll give us the basis and actually out of those suggestions which are only a few but we suggest that the wee man walking along with the stick to poke the wire was at least the basis the foundation for what actually turned out to be the most efficient cost-effective 
sensible idea. So they took the core of that about vibration. Not employing a man to go and do it, but maybe employing a pilot. So they employed a pilot with a helicopter to fly the route of the lines and the rotor wind shook the snow off. Problem solved. Very clever way of, of managing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how can that really help our parents? What can they so use in their work? Whenever we're looking at our child facing a problem, no matter how simple or how complex, giving them the opportunity to be involved in the problem solving um, process really does give them and empower them with the thought of, I can do this. I might need a little bit of help sometimes. I might need some time to think it through. But no, that old chestnut of no idea is a silly idea, no question is a silly question. Um, you know, encourage them to come up with because there'll be something there. And the fact that they're wee nugget is what started that th- thought process that builds an awful lot of confidence in them for future problem solving. That I have an idea, it might not be perfect, but it's a start and it's better than nothing. Yeah, and something they can work on together with their parents, which is going to, I suppose, help parents to feel that they're sort of actively managing mm-hmm. the difficulties and supporting their children. And encouraging them. That's what I was going to say, Funny, That whole idea of encouragement is, it's a really, really important one. And it's something again, families come back to you talk about the confidence growing and the self-esteem growing just because of this encouragement. So we always ask families to, to actually just take a wee second now, wherever you're sitting, and to have a wee think about someone in your past or someone in your life who you find really, really, really encouraging. Who was that person? What was it about them? What kind of things did, did they do and how did they make you feel? What was it that, that made them that encouraging person? And to just have a wee think about it. And whenever we get the feedback, we always get lots and lots of different ideas and lots and lots of different people. But common things that always come back to us are, are the patience that that person showed to us or how supportive and respectful that person, that person was. And the fact that they allowed them to make mistakes so they allowed them to try things out. They allowed them to, to go and let's try this out and let's try this out. But to come back to that safe person and to know that actually I've done a good job and let's try and work on this together. So that's something that's been really, really, really important. And it fits really nicely into to what you were saying earlier about the boundaries and about how kids respond really, really, really well to that. Mm-hmm. So one thing that, that we talk about an awful lot in one-to-one sessions and in group work and to everybody is this idea of time boundaries. So we mean it in the loosest of senses. So whenever we give a request or whenever we ask for something to be done, instead of abruptly turning something off or abruptly expecting the child to perform that, we give them a countdown. Now that could be a countdown five, four, three, two, one. That could be a countdown of five over the space of an hour. It could be, as Laura talks about, five cups of coffee. It doesn't matter as long as you're given that space for the child to, to then prepare, to know that, ah, okay, this is very logical. Whenever they get to one, it means these things are being finished. So that preparation time is really, really, really important in those boundaries as well with helping with that confidence. And you are, you're, you're then giving them the choice, which I suppose links back into to our ideas of pros and shooting in and plan by taking that wee bit of a moment and, and planning for these things ahead. It's really, really helpful. I mean, this is all very challenging. Par- you know, our parents are working with, you know, children who have some difficulties or some struggles, sometimes multiple children. And it can mean a lot then for our parents to to learn some skills and strategies so that they feel that they're actively managing an issue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that something that you've noticed in your work with parents? Yeah, I think just that confidence. Um, a, a lot of what our parents are seeking is just reassurance. And I mean, you don't have to come along to a group to get that. You can get that from family and friends, from your partner, you know, from voluntary organisations. It's just having confidence in what you're doing. And I think that's why, you know, the evidence base of this programme and the we golden nuggets that we're delivering mean so much to our parents. Um, because it reassures them. It does. Because yeah. you get advice from here, there and everywhere. And it's not always great advice. Yeah. Um, so whenever they know what they're doing is actually having an impact, that's, as Eva says, really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, I think in thinking about how hard our parents work to support their children, because let's be honest, our parents want to help their children. And if they feel reassured and they feel more confident, they're obviously going to be completing the job of parenting in a much happier way. Do you have any advice for how our parents can sort of look after themselves in a, in the midst of all of these challenging days and times and complications with schools and, and children and other professionals? How can they look after themselves? Do you know that's something we talk about from day dot on from the very first time we meet parents? It's the importance of, of that self-care. We talk about how you really can't pour from an empty cup and by putting these things into practice, you're, you're filling up your own cup, so to speak. You're, you're allowing yourself that time to just relax and not be a parent or a guardian and not have to be that, that responsibility. So getting the opportunity to practice self-care and prevent doing, it's really, really, really hard. It's really hard for families to carve out that wee bit of time. But I know as Laura had said, it comes from, from so many different places. It is having a chat with your neighbour, it's having a chat with a friend or going out for a coffee. It doesn't have to be a, a big thing. Even 10 minutes of, do you know, within your routine of, oh, I've got the lunches to do for tomorrow, I've got the dinner to read up, I've got, do you know, whatever is on your to-do list. Mindfully taking 10 minutes to give yourself permission to have your cup of tea sat down. Not run around the kitchen taking a sip here, there and everywhere. 10 minutes permission for yourself to sit down and relax and whether that is scrolling through your phone taking a chapter of a book watching your favorite tv program for half an hour give yourself permission because there is time and even by virtue of you know those of you who are listening today carving out this x amount of minutes to listen to this podcast shows that we do have the time if we prioritize it but it's not easy in our day-to-day, so we do have to plan it. Do you know? And we need to give ourselves permission. We can't just expect to look after ourselves in the midst of being a carer because that's a 24-hour you know, job. Mm. Um, so that wee bit of planning, not only in regards to your parenting, but your self-care, is equally important. Yeah, and some, some might say more important because if we can't pour from an empty cup, um, then we're all in trouble. So I suppose taking that, taking that time, and what I'm hearing you say is that it's extremely important for our parents to feel supported, to be able to do that um, and to be as well as they can be. Yeah. Listen, there's some really interesting ideas there today. Um, thank you so much for uh, talking through all of those different strategies. Um, and I suppose helping us think about how we can thrive rather than just survive in parenting. If anyone was interested in hearing a wee bit more or reading more about this today, have you any sort of links or advice of where they could find that information? 
Yeah, so we we work quite closely with lots of different community groups. So the best place to find them would be the Family Support NI website. They are always updating themselves and they've got everything in the local community. We also refer lots of people to the likes of Parent and NI or the there's actually a CAMS website with lots of different reading and lots of different resources. But on that you'll find information about different wee coffee mornings, different wee helplines, support groups. They really are a fantastic resource just to give you a wee bit of headspace. Excellent. Thank you so much to both of you. And thank you to our listeners. Um, hopefully you've found today's podcast helpful. And some of those links that um, Amy has referred to will be embedded in the podcast afterwards. And also, if you're interested in providing any feedback, I would encourage you to complete our short survey. Um, thank you. Thank you.